Hey everyone, have you always heard us talking about the Major Spoilers Patreon page at patreon.com slash majorspoilers, but you've just thought maybe it was a little bit too expensive for you to get in there and try out some of the cool extras that we have? Well, guess what? We have a deal for you. Between now and December 31st, everyone who signs up at the $1 or $2 level at patreon.com slash majorspoilers is going to get access to a large amount of the things that $5, $10, $25, $40, $50, $15,000 patrons have access to. So if you point your browser to patreon.com slash majorspoilers and sign up from now until December 31st, you will have access to at least eight major spoilers pre-shows, critical hit a week early, at least six of those, a flashback episode, the GM roundtable, character sheets for our new uh, critical hit campaign that's coming up, access to the November and December VIP live chat, and a whole lot more. So what are you doing? Wet your beak, point your browser to patreon.com slash major spoilers today, sign up for this low, low price, see what's going on, and help your favorite podcasters in return. Thanks so much, and here's your show. The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Ashley. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue, King Kirby's in the house, and he is his own editor, so things are going to get weird. We've got news from the galaxy far, far away, from the CW, from comics, and a whole lot more. Your mandatory basket ingredients are a college professor, Canada's most talented daughter, the fat man who's not John Goodwin, and a man whose beard can beat up your dad. Don't mess it up, or you'll be chopped. It's issue 899, marked down from 950, so enjoy your discount, because the Major Spoilers podcast is on the air. Welcome to issue 899 of the Major Spoilers Podcast. Thank you so much for downloading and checking us out this week. Let's see, we have Ashley behind door number one, Matthew behind door number two, and Rodrigo behind door number three. But if I open up door number four... It's a zonk. It's Jason Inman. Jason Inman, how are you doing? Salutations. <laughs> I'm sorry I'm not a trip to Aruba, but I'm just a man. Jason. Well, at least you're not the goat eating the, uh, the bale of hay. Jason. Yes, exactly. So normally, I don't this... understand these references. It's, uh, oh, let's make man. a deal. Never watched that show. Oh, the Jason. '70s were a decade. Actually, actually let's yeah. make a deal is still on, and it's got uh, one of Wayne those. Brady, Brady. Car- yeah, Wayne Brady on it. Yeah. Oh, my Who's Line crush. Yeah. Well, yeah. Now I have to watch it. Here's the thing. A new generation. Normally, this <laughs> time of year, Jason comes on, and we talk about uh, the Comics for Heroes initiative. Uh, right, where we donate comics so that we can get those out to soldiers around the world. But Jason, you're doing something a little different this year. Yes, uh, this year, because, of course, 2020 has been a weird year. I think we can all agree with that. Oh, yes. And, um, you know, we're supposed to be socially distancing and we're supposed to be safe. And so normally what I would ask people to do at this time would be to send in and donate their comic books to Operation Gratitude as part of the Jawan Charity Drive for service members. But that didn't seem right this year. So instead, this year, the Jawan Charity Drive for service members is going to be a five-hour live charity show on YouTube, where we're going to give you all kinds of cool, quality entertainment for five hours at the same time as asking you to donate $5,000 to Operation Gratitude. So we're still giving to the same organization, the way we're doing it is different. 
So $5,000, five hours. I know I will want to, to donate to this, but I mean, beyond just Ashley and Jason, which are entertainment values in and of themselves, you've got to have something else that are going to get people drawn to coming and watching your, your show. Uh, yeah. And I, and I think we do, uh, thanks to a lot of the great work, uh, by Ashley, which is, uh, amazing. She's doing so much behind the scenes work. You wouldn't even believe it. Uh, we've reached out to a lot of people, a lot of big names, and a lot of them have hopped on board. So if you go over to charity drive for service members.com right now, you can get a little sneak preview, some clues about some of the guests that will be there during all five hours of the John one charity drive. Um, but I can reveal that Mr. Jay Washington of Blurds in the Hood oh, nice. is going to be one of our guests, um, as well as uh, Ms. Ashley Victoria Robinson. But we have something else that's pretty cool. And okay. I just actually saw this piece today. Um, if you're a comic book fan and you're interested in original art, we reached out to uh, Mr. Artist. I don't know why I called him Mr. Artist. Brett Booth. <laughs> of Titans and the newly announced on X-Men fame. And he is donating the original art to uh, Backlash Spider-Man number two, the original cover art, the pencil Ooh. art to this campaign. And I will say that during one of the hours of the Jawan Charity Drive, the highest donor of that hour will get that original Brett Booth piece. Nice. Wow. That'll be really cool. Now, Jay Washington. And he's not going to be the only artist. Either. Oh, Oh, there's a lot more coming. Oh, la ladies and gentlemen, I do not think you are listening to what Jason is saying. You need to get to charitydriveforservicemembers.com and look at some of this stuff. Jay Washington already announced. Here's what they have. TBA Clue, Strange Fellows. TBA Clue, Wonderful. TBA Clue, Podcast Pros. TBA Clue, Online Pros. And then TBA Clue, Quiver Devil. Gosh. I really wish that my mom would not have told you my high school wrestling name, Ashley, <laughs> because Quiver Devil is a dead giveaway. Yeah, it's pretty easy to figure it out. Shot. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Everybody, the first thing you Google Steven Schleicher, Quiver Devil comes yeah. up. Yeah, <laughs> man. Okay, so listen, this is a big deal. Yes. You guys are going to be entertained for five hours, and just between you and me, dear listener, I already know who some of these TBAs are, and... I guarantee you, you will want to turn out for this. I'm going to bet over the next couple of days, some of these names are going to be announced. This happens on November 14th. So over well, the next uh, week or so, these what, names will be announced. I'll tell you what, Stephen. I'll, I'll give you one more exclusive. Okay. Here we go. If, if somebody's listening and they're still not convinced to show up on Saturday, November 14th from 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time to 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time and help us support service members and wounded warriors, part, part of our first panel the strange fellows yeah clue mm -hmm. one of those strange fellows is comic book writer tom king Ooh. eisner award-winning writer of mr miracle and strange adventures oh ho, ho. <sighs> this is gonna be good now ladies and gentlemen please point your browsers charity drive for servicemembers.com bookmark the page because everything is going to launch from this page right Yes, that's correct. You can watch on that page, which will that's there will be a video for the live stream, or you can just go directly to my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Jawan. But there's a link to that on everything you need is at charitydriveforservicemembers.com. And so where is all this money that you're going to raise? These tens well, the of thousands thing, of dollars, they're going to Operation Gratitude. What are they going to do with <laughs> well, this money? 
Uh, Operation Gratitude, uh, if you don't know about this amazing organization, they send over 300,000 care packages every single year to service members, wounded warriors. And even a cool thing they do, if there is a deployed service member overseas, they will send their family a Christmas gift from that service member. Um, so it's a it's a way for their families to get a gift from their service member. And they every every package is specifically curated to that service member. So if they like comic books, they'll put nice. comic books in it. If they like socks, they'll put socks in it. If they like Sudoku, Sudoku's going in there. Um, if they like comic book socks. Well, I, I, I can't guarantee the, the the availability of socks at Operation Gratitude, but I can tell you that they'll probably be full of fluffy colors. This is awesome. Again, ladies and gentlemen, charitydriveforservicemembers.com. If you're looking for some, uh, maybe to get some original art, get your checkbook ready because you're going to want to contribute during one of these hours. And maybe you can get that. There's going to be a bunch of pros, podcast pros, online pros, Quiver Devil pros. I wonder if Wonderful is Wonder Woman is going to show up. Oh, maybe. I, I will tell you this. There is we have a huge guest that is closing out the show. And then also there is a piece of art that uh, that we won't announce until next week that is also going to go up during this drive that Jason wants. And I want it so bad <laughs> that I am I am ready to fight anybody for the highest donation of at okay. my own charity drive. <laughs> Here's the thing. You are being so tricksy. You little hobbitses over there in California. <laughs> With with your clues, I I want you to come back next week, Jason, because I want you to I want you to reveal some of these names. Sure. Can you come back next week and reveal some of these names for us? I would be happy to. And I, okay. and, I and I hope to have even bigger news next week. Oh, OK. All right. I can't wait. I can't wait. I've already marked this on my calendar. Fortunately, this is the weekend before my son does a uh, karate belt test. So I'm going to have the whole wow. afternoon off. I'm probably going to uh, postpone our game stream on that day and push everybody over here so that they can watch the live stream over at charity drive for, uh, for servicemembers.com. Go check it out now. See if you can get your guesses in, read everything that there needs to be read so that you can participate in this uh, in, uh, in on the 14th. All right, Jason, you're yes. coming back next week. I know you're super busy doing super busy, awesome, cool script writing things that you can't tell us about. This guy's full I of secrets. I still can't talk about any of it. <laughs> I know, it's so full of secrets, man. I just wish these uh, networks and places would just uh, make announcements already. Uh, me too, me too. <laughs> All right, Jason. Thank you so much, and we'll see you again next week. Thank you so much, Stephen. All right, everybody. Now that Jason has left, we can get into the boring part of the show, and that is the news. Okay. So um, I'm offended. Big news for fans of Jeff Lemire, right? Lemire. Uh, and Jock. That's that's the whole name is Jock. Uh, the two are teaming for Snow Angels, a new series dropping in 2021. While we don't know much about the series at this point, we do know it is going to be a digital only series premiere on Comixology Originals. Considering these two are powerhouses in the industry, this looked like a big win for digital comics and comicsology. I think so, especially for creator owns. I think this is mm -hmm. a big deal. And yep. the fact that Comixology Originals has these two, especially Jeff Lemire right now when he is writing high on a bunch of books all over the place at at Boom, at DC, at you know wherever else. And then, of course, Jock's uh, great art. Uh, this is going to be a big deal for Comixology Originals. So 
Look at the digital comic marketplace in 2021, and you're going to see it heat up. I'm good at unmuting. More child on the way. Maybe we talked about that in the pre-show. Timelines blew up over this past week as life-size figures of Baby Yoda, aka the child, that's they are of the indeterminate gender's official name, from Disney Plus's The Mandalorian, they've appeared all over the place. And while it may be impossible to get a life-size figure to put under your holiday tree this year, Sideshow Collectibles has opened orders for a second The Child figure that will arrive sometime in the first quarter of 2021 if their shipping updates are to be believed, which they're not. They've never not pushed something back at least six times, but you'll probably get it sometime in 2021. Uh, and the child, of course, has a stated sell price of three seventy-five, not like three dollars and seventy-five cents, but three hundred and seventy-five dollars and several cents, I would assume. Which honestly, for sideshow, was a really good deal. That, that is and a good deal. I just had a sideshow. This, side show this piece looks amazing. Yeah. Oh no, this thing is is incredible. So much detail on it. I just had a sideshow piece uh, come in the other day, not the child, because I was like, eh, I don't know if I want it. And then literally the first day that they opened up pre-orders on it, it was done in a day. So if you want to get uh, in on this, I would suggest doing it now. But yes, I did get a sideshow piece in uh, this week that cost almost the same amount of money. And um, yeah, that's that's a pretty good deal for will the there child. be a will there be an unboxing of that, Stephen? I already unboxed it and then put it away. I need to ah. I need to spend some time getting it posed and under glass. Take uh, some first. slick photos. But let me just say I will just say that there's a pair of them and they recently were in a Marvel movie together. And they're almost life size in the form of their in their of these figures. Nice. Hey, everybody. The CW is back. If you're wondering when your favorite The CW shows will be returning to the airwaves, the answer is soon. According to the network, Batwoman returns on Sunday, January 17th, Riverdale and Nancy Drew on January 20th and Black Lightning on February 8th. If you're all excited about the Flash season seven and the first season of Superman and Lois, you're going to have to wait until February 23rd. For the, that show, or those shows, to drop. Is that the all-new, all-different Batwoman? That is the yep. all-new, all-different Batwoman, January 17th. I don't know if she's all different, because I think she starts out in the same costumes. But, nonetheless, transitioning perfectly, speaking of the Nancy Drew, in a callback to that story, which is how transitions work, take note, Stephen, the CW is working on Tom Swift, a spinoff from Nancy Drew. Tom Swift's... Bleh, Tom... Swift follows the serialized adventures of its titular black gay billionaire inventor who's thrust into a world of sci-fi conspiracy and unexplained phenomena after the shocking disappearance of his father. If it's all going to plan, and, you know, when does it not, we'll see Tom Swift making his television debut, debut rather during the second season of Nancy Drew, which should serve as backdoor pilot for his own series. Again, Nancy Drew dropping January 20th. As Ashley alluded to, we did a lot of Mandalorian talk in the Major Spoilers pre-show, and you can join the conversation about these shows and more over in our Discord. You can join the Major Spoilers Discord server for free. There's also a way for you to link your Patreon account to Discord and get access to even more features Find out more at patreon.com slash major spoilers and go listen to this week's uh, pre-show. I know at least one person who looks forward to Wednesday morning because they get a double dose of major spoilers. A All right. Double dose. Now that that is over, let's quickly move into some reviews. So uh, one of the other things we were talking about in the pre-show was uh, Ashley's spooky Halloween movie watching. And uh, when I was growing up, there was a movie called The Craft which was kind of a big deal for the for uh, uh, girls in high school who want to be witches. 
And apparently there's a sequel follow up. What's going on here with with The Craft, The Legacy? Heck, yeah. So uh, The Craft Legacy is a Bloomhouse follow up to the original Craft movie from the 90s that I saw three weeks ago. And as with all modern sequels, I went into this thinking, is this going to be any good or is this going to be real garbage? Oh, David Duchovny is in it. And his love interest is 15 years younger. We're off on a, we're up to a bad start. <laughs> but the craft legacy actually deals with an entirely new generation of uh, witches. Shout out to them for including a uh, trans character where that's not the arc. Uh, they were talking all the young, the, the young new force of are talking about the power of women uh, and how women can bear babies. And one of them just goes, yeah, but not all of us do that. Like, I just thought that was really cool. Uh, and it's a much it's a much more progressive take on what does it mean to maybe be a witch with actual powers in the world than the OG craft feels like by modern standards. It follows the coming to a new town of a character named Lily, who we learn later is short for Lilith because witches. And she goes through a similar arc to the protagonist of the craft where she comes into a coven. She winds up being their fourth. She's their strongest, most powerful, uh, most prolific. And then due to uh, reasons, the coven winds up breaking apart and all the other girls turn against her. What is cool about the craft legacy is they don't, the coven doesn't reject her because she's too powerful and they're afraid of that. They reject her because she is irresponsible in her magic and winds up doing to someone what they are trying to prevent being done to themselves and other women, which I think is a really cool metaphor and something that is really needed uh, in these kind of wild upheaval times that we live in. And then at the end, after they defeat a very sausage-looking David Duchovny. Oh, my. Uh, he's definitely in this movie. He definitely <laughs> showed up and uh, learned some lines. Had a page. He also plays a character named Adam, because all the names are really, really on the nose here. Um, once they've defeated him, we do get uh, the origin of Lilith. We learn who uh, her true parentage is lineage is and that is really the only tie except for the structure of the movie uh and some of sort of the key words uh to the craft so that's really it's really interesting i won't go into it too much i would encourage people if they're interested in watching this uh to not let anyone spoil the end reveal for you i thought it was really well handled and well done whereas a lot of modern stories uh, or modern sequels rather can feel a little pandering when they tie back to something original. I honestly think if this were anything but a sequel to the craft, it would have blown up so much more. I think it does a really great job at tackling witchcraft is very in vogue right now in terms of, uh, especially like internet culture and women and young women, because it's all about trying to take your power back in a world where you feel powerless. And I think that this movie is much more aware of that and what it means to uh, the cultural moment that it was created in. than I think the original craft movie, I think even in the original craft movie, there is a little bit poking fun and that is mm -hmm. not evident here. Their magic is obviously much more powerful than uh, writing your attentions on a piece of paper and burning it under a full moon they can do full glamours there's transfiguration there is really messed up love spells that get taken out of control but it really 
feels like something that was created from the zeitgeist that we're all living. And I think that that is something to its credit. I think their handling of their black witch, because just like the first movie, there's one whole black person in this movie. Uh, and their treatment of the trans character, I think, are pretty sensitive, all things considered. I thought it was very well done. Um, if somebody doesn't and they want to correct me with their POV, I'm more than happy to check that out. But I think that The Craft Legacy is a a worthy sequel to the original craft um, because it's a sequel. I don't know if it's going to hold the same cultural sway that the original did, but I would really encourage people to check this out. This is also a VOD movie. Blumhouse is a really cool studio and Steven and I spend a lot of time screaming about VOD and why it's important mm-hmm. to support VOD, particularly if we want more cool things to come on VOD in future. So the rental price starts at $19.99. I believe to own it, it's $24.99 which if you live in Los Angeles is approximately the cost of going to see this in the cinema anyway. So I would highly encourage people, even with a passing interest to check it out. Plus Zoe Lister Jones, female director. I think people who like, which is uh, like the craft uh, and like watching David Duchovny get what's coming to him. will really enjoy this movie. I definitely did. So are there any people from the original, the craft that show up here? Uh, there is a, there is one cameo. Okay. All right. But not is not it, a big solid. Uh, is it Nev? It's part. Nev, isn't it? Uh, I don't know who that is. Nev Campbell. I don't know who that is. So <gasps> maybe she's the pretty one from the original. Oh, now they're, they're all, all pretty. pretty. <laughs> one of she's... them grow. One of them grows up to be President Santos's wife in the West Wing. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so there's yeah. I'm glad uh, you mentioned the VOD stuff. There's a couple of mm-hmm. other movies that have popped up recently that I haven't pulled the trigger on, but I think if you're going to do VODs, you should probably do them sooner than later. Um, Love and Monsters is another one that just showed up. Heck uh, yeah! That looks like all sorts of crazy fun. Uh, where there's a monster apocalypse that breaks out, and this guy goes on a cross country journey to go find his uh, true love, and um, it looks interesting. It's got uh, what's his name. That's in uh, Guardians of the Galaxy and everything else. Um, Star Lord. No, the other one. But uh, yeah, I, I'm going to go check Russell. that one out. <laughs> yes, it's definitely Kurt Russell. All right, Ashley, thank you for that. Uh, let us jump to DC Comics this week. Young Justice number 20. This is the final issue of this series, Matthew. It is. And that's frustrating. Because a lot of plot lines are still percolating and and bumping around into each other. And there are a lot of things unresolved at the end of this issue. And more bothersome to me is the fact that if you actually read the solicitation for Young Justice number 20, the whole team comes together to face a threat bigger than anything they've ever threatened before. That doesn't happen. None of that happens in this issue. The closest thing we have to that happening in this issue is Teen Lantern. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Teen Lantern. She is a Bolivian girl who somehow found a uh, gauntlet that allows her to hack into the Owen power battery and use the power of a Green Lantern, getting confronted by Jon Stewart, who comes across as a complete authoritarian D-bag in telling her that she has to stop and she must give him her gauntlet and argagarga, I am Jon Stewart, I am blah, 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 blah. It's really unpleasant, but... Most of this issue is Young Justice settling into their new headquarters for the first time together as a team, which is an odd way to end a book. Uh, It really is. And they end up fighting a red tornado, Um, not the red tornado, just a red tornado. And of course, there's a lot of Bendis moments and a lot of huge, long conversational bits of dialogue. And the final page is Impulse, who's back from the dead. I don't know if you knew that. 
uh, Impulse calling a secret team meeting. And then we get a two-page spread of the team cooking wieners outside of their new headquarters and just hanging out, which I like. I mean, I do appreciate the fact that these characters kind of act like teenagers actually act. But I also kind of have a frustration in that every issue of Young Justice, even if you read the one before, feels like you're walking into the middle of a sentence and then just ending when the pages run out. And for the final issue of a book to be the first time that the entire team is assembled together really just feels like a mean trick. It feels frustrating to me because I know that in the modern kind of uh, storytelling oeuvre, we're never going to see Young Justice again. Or if we do, we're going to see them, you know, in a Bendis Superman book and something terrible is going to happen and they're going to lose their headquarters and everybody's going to get beat up. That's, you know, the way modern comics go and I've learned to live with it. But all in all, this issue ends up being really disappointing, even though I like parts of it. I feel like the art is very odd. Uh, Scott Godlewski, Godlewski? Scott handles the art, and there are some great moments. There's a point where Teen Lantern is facing the uh, perspective of the reader. She's the last member standing, and she's got her gauntlet all powered up, and she's like, none shall pass. It's a really nice moment. It's followed by some really weird perspectives. And when you're drawing teenagers, there's a theory that you draw an adult with a smaller neck which means that a lot of the characters in this book feel like weirdly articulated adults. I don't necessarily hate that because, you know, you have that awkward phase. I had it from the age of 12 to how old am I now? 49. So yeah, all in all, as a final chapter, it's not particularly good as an independent issue, just as one story I'm bothered by it. As the final chapter to what we've seen all together, it's a little bit more successful, still a little disappointing. I'm going to go with two slices of meatloaf for Young Justice number 20. Some artistic choices, some story choices, and some things that I think are just unfortunate uh, bits and pieces of the book ending where it does all come together to give it sort of an underwhelming feel. And it's I'm really sad because I enjoyed the first few issues of this book and wanted to see where it was going and it never got to some of the places it implied that it was going. All right. Thank you for that. Uh, out this week from Dark Horse Comics, it's Stranger Things and Dungeons and Dragons crossover number one. This is from Jody Hauser and Jim Zub. So this is a Dark Horse and an IDW publishing uh, crossover event. Last time I did Stranger Things, I did uh, Science Camp, which was kind of a prequel to season three of Stranger Things. Uh, this thing is this book is a prequel to the entire stranger things series. This is the story of how Mike and Lucas and will uh, discovered dungeons and dragons at a smelly old bookshop while they were running away from, from uh, um, bullies and how the proprietor of the shop is really into miniatures gaming, but more of the, what's the old, uh, the original form of that, where you're moving the soldiers around instead of chain uh, mail. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Um, and he's just like, oh, if you kids will go away, I will, I will let you have this, uh, beginner's box of Dungeons and Dragons. And then of course they discover the magic of Dungeons and Dragons and they play and they become friends and they eventually meet Dustin. Who's all down about the math and the, uh, the crunch of the system and they're playing and they're having fun until finally, oh, 
on Will's birthday. No, not Will's birthday. Uh, Mike's birthday. They play the last game in the beginner box. But fortunately, all his friends bought him the next adventure so they can continue their adventures. And uh, apparently they will over the course of four, uh, three more episodes or three more issues. This is really weird. I've got to tell you, um, there are times when I will read a Dungeons and Dragons comic and you can tell, oh, a new module must be on the way because now they're in mm. Icewind Dale. Uh, and so that's or Vale. And that's what uh, the new the new expansion is. So, of course, it makes sense that there is a new comic series that's taking place in that setting. I had a bit of a problem when Rick and Morty went into the world of Dungeons and Dragons because a lot of that, especially the very first issue of that, felt like a big sales pitch for mm -hmm. Dungeons and Dragons. That's exactly what this issue feels like. A big sales pitch for how wonderful Dungeons and Dragons is and how much adventures and fun and imagination people are going to have when they play this adventuring game from a new company that is just starting up TSR. And it's just, it's just really, I gotta say, it's really weird to read it. Now, the stuff that they've written, even if it is just a big uh, $4 advertisement, is well done. Jim's uh, basically runs the Dungeons and Dragons stuff for IDW Publishing, and Jody Hauser has been doing all of the Stranger Things for Dark Horse Comics. So two of them together are going to produce something that is an interesting read. But by the time I got to the end, I'm like, well, they're not really sucked into a Dungeons and Dragons world. There aren't any monsters that are popping up. So this is just a comic about kids sitting around and playing Dungeons and Dragons and finding friendship. Okay, I can get behind that, I guess. Uh, the art, I think, is really good. Uh, Diego Galindo is the person who's doing the art here, and I really enjoyed the art. Um, but if you're buying this comic, go into it knowing that it is pro Dungeons and Dragons and is trying to get you to run out and buy a Dungeons and Dragons starter set from starting at about page five all the way to the end of the book. Now, if you've always wanted, now there was a Stranger Things Dungeons and Dragons starter set that Wizards of the Coast did release, oh, was it two years ago? Something like that, that I have, that basically has everything that they would use there. It's using the fifth edition stuff, um, but it's got character sheets and all that stuff, so you can play. This book does include a character sheet for um, Will's character, the, the magic user, Will the Wise. So if you've always wanted to play Will the Wise in a D&D game, character sheet's in the back. And I'm going to guess that uh, Lucas and Dustin, uh, both of their characters, will also get a uh, character sheet by the end of this. So, end of the day, be aware of that when you go into it. I thought it was a well-put-together piece of marketing. Uh, I'm going to give it four slices of meatloaf out of five. But be aware that you're being marketed to heavily in this book. And that you're paying for it. And that you are paying for it for four bucks. Yes. Now, if this were $1.99, this would be a no-brainer. Just go pick it up because of how fun it is. But when you get up to the $4 range, I'm like, eh, it's maybe, maybe got some things you might want to question. Uh, let's stick with the Dark Horse Comics Rodrigo and let's see what's going on next week with Rodrigo's mm. favorite comic book of all time. Uh, it's pretty good. Uh, Resident Alien is back, baby. Yay. Um, this is the sixth volume of Resident Alien, I want to say. And I have read a lot of it, but not all of it. There have definitely been uh, times in my life when I'm just not able to read a lot of comics. So I probably need to go back to some trades. 
in any case, um, Harry is back. He's back from New York. Um, and in this first issue of this volume, we are seeing the um, the the beginnings of of some mysteries that he is going to have to solve, as well as some ominous things uh, happening that let us know that maybe his time uh, maybe his time on Earth is coming to an end. Oh, he's um, finally going to get to go home? Uh, we don't know. We don't know yet. The So, there's this aspect to the Resident Alien series that I'm always like, uh, I don't know about enough about this to know if they're doing this right, but there's like some straight up, like, for reals, like Native American mysticism in uh, Resident Alien. Like, straight up, just straight up magic. Um, there's a, a Native American guy who knows some stuff and his daughter's like ability to um, sort of sense things is, again, for real. Uh, there's been... So um, the way that uh, Harry... Uh, if you've never seen an issue of Resident Alien, you might pick one up and be like, uh, there's just this like purple alien walking around and nobody notices. It's like it's because he's psychic. He basically makes everybody think that he looks like a normal person. Um, but there's been a handful of people who can either send like just straight up see him for who he is or can sense that he's different. And one of them is like a very special little girl. Um, and that's kind of a thing. Um, and then the other one is this Native American guy who just because he's like magic can see him. Mm -hmm. And again, it's like the characters are well written. You know, there's no, it's like they have lives and worries and things are happening and the mysticism is never the focus of it. But there's always been this huge asterisk for me with resident alien of like, yeah, but like Native Americans are magic and they can see through it. And again, I'm not a Native American, but it feels we it feels weird mm. because I don't know if it's actually dipping into stereotypes or if you know the writer actually did a lot of research and they're like, well, if there was Native American magic. Uh, it would look like this, and this is like very well researched. So I don't know. I really don't know about this, but it makes me feel weird every time it comes up. And like the big ominous thing that um, um, that maybe Harry's going home, or maybe he's going to die, or something. Basically, a big um, omen for him comes from that side of things. So I don't know. I. Uh, you know, <laughs> my uh, the pull quote for this. I enjoy this comic a lot. Still not sure how I feel about the Native American mysticism angle. Three and a half slices of meatloaf. Art is fantastic. Ian J. Colbert does a really excellent job just with the faces. Like, characters are so rich and you can see very subtle expressions. And this comic is what I love about Resident Alien, which is a comic in which kind of nothing happens starring a big purple alien. 
Um, so I would say definitely if you've been reading Resident Alien, pick it up. If you're looking for a good jumping on point, this is probably a so-so jumping on point. We're pretty deep in. I would go back at least a couple of volumes if you wanted to get into Resident Alien, but it's not bad. Cool. Thank you for that, Rodrigo. And dear listener, make sure you head to Majorspoilers.com. More reviews showing up every single day of the week. Probably more than you can shake a stick at. Well, I mean, you could shake a stick at Major Spoilers, but why would you? Come on. We're trying to be better in uh, 2020s and going forward. Yeah, it'd be just like a waste of a stick. I know, really. Yeah. Use the stick for something else. Yeah. Yeah, like walking. Stick things. So, let's talk The Eternals. Hey, I heard there's a big O. Nope. Nope, there's not. I heard there was. Yeah, you're wrong. You have to wait another year or two. I, I heard uh, somebody got like super ripped for it. Yeah, yeah. man. I am super jealous of, of uh, he did I'm say though, he did say that he was miserable every single step of the way. I bet he was. That just oh, seems yeah. terrible. Yeah. No, nobody, goes, nobody is that ripped without suffering. Yeah. If you go into his timeline, when that picture first appeared, um, he talks about, how he was just like a miserable every single day, but he decided to do it because he was going to be in a Marvel movie. And if the studio was going to pay for him to get all buff, then, you know, what better time to do it? Um, and if you watch that season of uh, Silicon Valley, you can see the moment when they're off for a few weeks so he can go buff and work out or however long it was, because all of a sudden he goes from somebody that is how you normally see him to suddenly hiding into under baggy clothes and everything. So you can't see how bulked up he's gotten wearing a uh, poncho. It's yeah, like yeah, when yeah. ladies get pregnant, there's just yeah. like a giant purse in front of a uh, Kumail Nanjiani <laughs> yeah. at all times. Yeah. Or, uh, Which is wild uh, because it's like, not like he was out of shape before. No, he wasn't. Yeah. And that's, that's the you know? thing, right? <laughs> but it shows it's like, uh, oh, I don't yeah. know if you guys watch parks and rec when uh, star Lord got in shape. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was noticeable. Yes, very much so. So the Eternals, going back to the Eternals. Yep. Uh, once upon a time, there was a creator named Jack Kirby who uh, got let go at Marvel. And he said, fine, I'm going to take all my crazy stories to DC. And I'm going to tell a story about the new gods. And it's going to be in the pages of Jimmy Olsen. And they're going to let me do whatever the heck I want. And then like 11 issues later, DC's like, yeah, no, we're canceling new gods. And Jack Kirby's <laughs> like, oh, Fine. I'm going to go to Marvel and I'm going to tell a story about the new gods, except I'm not going to call them new gods. I'm going to call them the Eternals and I'm going to base my entire story on chariots of the gods. Yep. <sighs> and yep. in fact, Eric I mean, just, Van Daniken was a big deal in the seventies. Yeah, it really was. And for people that aren't aware, this is basically, uh, Von Daniken's, uh, claim is that aliens came down and essentially seeded the planet. And that's where humans came from, is from, from aliens. And if you go Alien back into, baby. uh, yep. If you go into ancient Aztec and Mayan carvings, you will see these, uh, reclining astronauts, uh, carved into stone. And there's a thing going in his nose, which proves this, this is an astronaut going off into space. And Jack Kirby, I think must've bought this stuff hook, line and sinker because everything about chariot of the gods is in the, like the first four issues of this book. I mean, at least he liked it a lot. Well, and then he also starts to mix in other things, right? Let's start mixing in the Greek mythology. So we get Circe and we get uh, uh, Icarus and we start getting all these great classic uh, Greek characters starting to show up. And then just to add the little icing on top, not to offend everyone, sort of a little Christianity in there so we can get Noah's Ark uh, floating around and how the Eternals saved uh, Noah's Ark back in the day. 
Well, and, you know, Deviant Lord Crow is clearly a devil. Yes. The, impl- yeah. the implication is that he was the devil. Now, when this book started coming out, it was not technically considered part of Marvel's universe. This was kind of a standalone book, and it started getting drawn into the universe after it was canceled. So at the point that these issues were being written, there was never really anything of, oh, how does this jibe with Thor? How does this jibe with Hercules? It really didn't have to. It was kind of its own thing off on an island there. So I really enjoy these these issues. Just if you if you say this is not the Marvel Universe, la 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 la, I'm not listening. It gives you a completely different take on everything that happens in these issues. Ashley, what were your initial reactions to to this? I don't know what's going on, <laughs> and so, it looks really cool. So the Celestials are back. And the, yeah, they're going to judge us for the next are. 50 years. I mean, years. I know they're a Marvel thing, but like that's about as far as I'm, I don't like cosmic stuff. Well, this so. is their first appearance. Basically, they are space gods. Yeah, they're not even called celestials in this. Are they? Uh, I think they are. Well, they, I think they, they are a couple called issues that, in. But they're mostly referred to as the space gods. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. And so yeah. we spend a lot of. It looks really good. It, this book looks amazing. I stopped reading the actual words like halfway through. <laughs> I mean, this is the first 11 issues. I think like, uh, truly gun to my head. I can't tell you what happened in these issues. No, it's not was, really important. I've been sitting here quivering, being afraid they're going to be like, Ashley, what happened? And I was be like, I, uh, who knows girl and uh, not me. <laughs> yeah. Um, I know that's sacrilege because I know this is someone's favorite thing, but I was just like, man, I like the new gods and that is some cosmic nonsense. And like, this is that with even less editorial oversight. Oh, yeah. Uh, Here's what I'm going to say. I love most of the art in this book. I mean, when we get the double page spreads of Jack Kirby showing you how, you know, the breaking into the as the or is it Incan, whatever the the temples that they're breaking into at the beginning. supposed to be. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you just see all this stuff laid out in front of you and you see the the Kirby crackle and all that stuff everywhere. Man, those big double a double page space spreads and everything just look fantastic. And anytime you get to see Jack Kirby draw some crazy contraptions with all the little details and the gigas and the goo goos all over the place. It is like super, super cool. Women's faces though, man, he doesn't know how to draw a woman's face. He's got one woman's face and it's Sue Storm's face. And it's ugly. Sometimes. Yeah. I would say, I would honestly say most of his faces are not appealing to me. I Um, mean, there's, I think Jack Kirby's faces may be like cilantro and every once in a while you'll definitely get an editorial who is like, I don't like this face. And then they'll just draw over them like monsters Mm -hmm. or, you know, uh, get uh, swan to come in and do Superman. Yeah. Um, but you know, all the other stuff, I kind of dig it. You know, he draws some really good deviants. I'll, I'll say that. Yep. Uh, the deviants, Matthew, are the single panel with Icarus makes him look like a Greek statue. Yeah. Yeah. That's brilliant. I love that. Yeah. The deviants are the monsters. The deviants are the ones that got the, the no good DNA. The eternals are the ones that got the uber good DNA. And then the rest was given to us humans. And we've been dumb about the ongoing war between these two factions for millions of years. And now they're among us. 
The Eternals and the Deviants have secretly been among us forever, but they're now in 1977, for some reason, starting to make themselves known. Ah, so this is where the Court of Owls comes from. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, there are a lot of stories. No, I know. Kirby did not invent the Secret Society. Oh, he did, actually. Um, Uh, (laughs) I think Arthur Conan Doyle did. (laughs) Someone else is screaming at their phone right now. No, I don't know. Jack Kirby could beat up Arthur Conan Doyle, so obviously Kirby. For sure. For sure. (laughs) What this essentially really comes together for me as is when you actually look at this comic and when I when I break it down in my head, I always forget that Eternals came out in 76, 77, because this feels like a late 80s book to me. And you get to a point where you're like, Kirby is working so far ahead of the industry that he's basically making a comic like what you'll get out of DC and Marvel 10 years down the line. And the beginnings of, you know, independent comics and image even coming into the early 90s. And it's wild and it's inventive and it's crazy and it's wacky, but it's also kind of exhausting. Oh, no, it is super. It is super exhausting because. You gotta, we gotta remember that these issues are coming out on a monthly basis, and yep. every time you have, you know, a deviant and an eternal showing up in front of a bunch of humans, we've got to spend at least a page of that issue explaining. Long ago, our races diverged, and you had the deviants and the eternals and yep. us, the humans. Class any questions? You know, it's it's old school comics, right? Where yeah, you yeah, yeah. see. Um, Kirby's like very dynamic poses of two people being surprised at something someone said. And there's a text box in the corner that says they were stunned to hear what he had to say. Yeah. Like, you yeah. don't, you don't need it, but it's all there. It's constant, constant words. At the time yep. of this recording, Matthew and I have spent, uh, pretty much three hours discussing 1977's wall of text, both yep. in the Eternals and in a bunch of other comics, uh, from the seventies. So, uh, yeah, this does get, you know, there are times when I do like wall of text, you know, mm-hmm. the, uh, some of the amazing Spider-Man wall of text stuff is great. Um, and that's about the only time I can really say that, uh, because any other time it feels like wall of text is just like, you're exhausting me. And I understand there's not as many comics out on the stands as there are today. And there are, you know, a lot, you want to try to get the best bang for your buck. And so you do want to make it feel like this comic is packed with stuff and sure enough, these comics are packed with stuff, but man, the 14th time I need to figure out what the, the origin of the Eternals was and what these giant celestials are doing. And why is there a box that sucks up, uh, members of, uh, of shield and spits them back out and then sucks them back up again. Um, you know, I'm kind of done with it. Well, you know, we're operating in a collected book a collection of stories that were designed to be individual stories. Every comic was designed to be its own reading experience and to be at least vaguely accessible as a standalone issue. Well, and that was one of the reasons too, right? Because, um, Kirby has basically given free reign to do whatever he wants here and which he does. Um, but the sales slipped, started to slip right away so that by the time we got to the 11th issue or whatever it was, the 19th issue, this series got canceled. Um, so, you know, as you're saying, Matthew, putting in a lot of that repeater stuff for the people that might be, Hey, it's issue 10. What's this comic about? You want to be able to explain it to them. Sure. Sure. Yeah. And the thing about Eternals that's so weird is you are absolutely right when you say, Hey, he's telling new gods again. But when you look at new gods, new gods is really his Thor 
yeah, taken the up Ragnarok a notch. And, I mean, yeah. it it really is just him restarting again. It's like yeah. he goes to Marvel editorial and he's like, hey, I want to blow it all up and do this weird thing. And Marvel's like, no. So he goes to DC and he does it there. And then right. DC's like, okay, stop. And then he goes back to Marvel. And by then, everybody loves Kirby. So they're like, well, yeah, just do it again. Start that thing over. Do this comic that you've been trying to do. Yep. Um, and it's got to be it's got to be weird for him to just kind of have to be like, okay, well, how do I continue telling new God stories when right. I have to like introduce a whole new cast of characters? And I think something's lost in that translation. Well, and, and it I is. think it's a lot of it is that fact that he is basically lifting the the chariot of the gods, which, you know, Matthew, you said this felt like an 80s book. The minute I opened it up to that first double page splash and I read what was going on in there, I'm like, holy crap, this is just chariot of the gods. And then sure enough, on the cover of issue two, it says the chariots of the gods. And I was like, oh, great. So this did not feel like an 80s comic to me. It felt definitely steeped in the 70s. Um, Steven, I thought you liked being right. <laughs> no, 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 not me. Um, so <laughs> it was it was just this weird. I don't know. It was, it's just weird to see him almost swallow the Kool-Aid on Von Donneken. Yeah. I don't think so. I, what it comes to with Kirby, uh, and you'll see if you look at Kirby in kind of his cycles, is he gets bits and pieces of things. He loves his secret societies. I would say that if secret societies were the Kool-Aid, he's definitely swallowed that because I cannot think of any Kirby work that doesn't have secret societies. You get the Inhumans and in Fantastic Four. You get the Transylvanians and all that crap in, you know, New Gods and Jimmy Olsen. You get the Eternals here. You get the the Ninth City in the 80s. But I think what it really is, is Kirby is old school in the way that whatever was in the news, whatever was part of yeah. what was pop culture, that's in your story. And that's... And I remember that because in the Superman stuff or in the Jimmy Olsen stuff, mm -hmm. um, there were just constant like street urchins and kids and hoods that were always like, ah, see, it's a culture war or like this is yep. a generational divide. And it's like because that's what was going on at the time. Yep. There's that that point where you see the guys like, welcome to the wild area, brother. Everybody's free here. 1972 comics Kirby is seeing you know hippies through whatever lens he's seeing be it pop culture or the news or whatever that's in the comic now I really feel like the bits of Eternals that work are great and the Eternals kind of comes apart when they put it in the Marvel Universe so these 11 issues for me if I could just take this and say creator owned work by Jack Kirby came out from image comics. Yeah. I'd be like, this is great. This is amazing. But then you have to try and retrofit it into a world where Thor is real and Hercules is an actual guy and all of the characters, your, you know, Icarus and Makari and Thena and Zurus are all based on legends of, actual mythological characters cersei jokes that the greeks could never spell her name right but yeah she did turn some guys into pigs once and then and then she takes up with george r, r. martin and his spelling and it's this whole thing <laughs> yeah it's a whole thing but <laughs> when you get to the point in the story where you have to try and say well zorus exists and his daughter thena is not the same as zeus and his daughter athena mm -hmm. and you're just like this 
package to me. This collection may be the most I've ever enjoyed the Eternals simply because you can kind of put it in your head and take it out of that, you know, shared universe concept and just say, yep, this is an eternal story. And Kirby is just kind of going, create up. Creating stuff. Yeah, we're going through some Incan monuments and some chariots of the gods and some Egyptian guys. And here's Satan. You know, if there was a movie coming out about the Eternals, mm-hmm. I could really see it just following this book. I oh, mean, yeah. especially because of where it is in the timeline of the Marvel Universe, right? Mm-hmm. It's like the like the Marvel Universe kind of closed itself up with Endgame. Yeah. And, you know, aside from some Spider-Man stuff, there isn't a lot of stuff in the horizon. So you could just kind of start a new story with the Eternals with like minimum. Yeah, just a celestial, a celestial shows up and we're telling this story about the Eternals protecting Earth, um, you know, during this time. I I totally could see this. The other thing that's go ahead. ahead. No, please. No, no, because I'm going to change topic. So finish up your thought. I, I just wanted to say that I really want to see uh, some of this Kirby armor on real people. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because, um, you know, I've talked, we've talked about this before, how like Iron Man walked us into the Marvel universe and like the suit have to seem real practical. But by the time we get to uh, end game, you know, Iron Man and Black Panther are basically like, it's morphing time. And the suits just like appear on them. So it's like uh, the Marvel universe has like pulled us away from that realism. And I feel that at this point, you can see these like celestials with like the Kirby armor. Mm -hmm. You can see the Eternals with like those like like that not so headdress Mm -hmm. that uh, that that guy has. And he doesn't have to wear the whole movie. Um, but he can start out with it or put it on at some point, And it's, I think they can make that look rad. Yeah. You want to make it even radder? Yes. Ajak is played by Salma Hayek. Oh, then definitely. Yes. Yeah. That is and rad. Actually. That is rad. I should have looked at the Ajak cast while the I was guy, reading this. <laughs> yeah, well, Ajak is the guy who's based on, you know, the, the Incan legends and stuff like that. And I'm like, yeah, that makes perfect sense. You know, some of the characters in the movie aren't actually in this volume. What? Are they the Neil Gaiman cast? No. Um, that volume, the by the that... way, also completely incomprehensible. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone in the movie that I'm aware of, with the exception of Phaistos, who was created by uh, Sal Buscema, is a Kirby creation. They're just not in this volume. Mm. Um, and, of course, the Black Knight is in it for some reason. Yeah. But Cersei is going to be uh, Gemma Chan. I love her. Yeah, Makari is going to be played by a woman who I think is deaf, which I think is kind of interesting. And then Ajak is uh, Salma Hayek. Angelina Jolie is playing Thena, the big blonde girl in the gold armor. Right. And um, I want to say Kumail Nanjana is playing uh, Kingo Sunan, who isn't in this volume. He shows up later. But all in all, if you put Salma Hayek in Ajak's purple and gold armor... I would watch that movie all day long. Yeah. Sure. Well, one of these days we'll get a chance to, uh, hopes. as we look at Kirby's evolution of art and as he just gets heavier and heavier Wilder. into the seventies, right? Mm-hmm. When we look at what's going on with new gods, that stuff is, I think tame compared to what we're seeing here in Eternals. So if you want to see Kirby ratchet up a little bit and just go even more Kirby on everything, this oh, is a man. good example of, Kirby being even more Kirby than Kirby 
in the pages of the Eternals. That being said, we have to remember that we are two years away from Jack Kirby's greatest art in 1979, where he does all the pre-production art for a little movie called Lord of Light that helped free the, the uh, hostages or allowed the CIA to get into Iran <laughs> to help bring the hostages home. And if you go and oh, look man. at Jack Kirby's, um, just go look up 1979 Jack Kirby CIA art. Uh, they have, they have shared this stuff and it is, it is even cranking up the Eternals art just a little bit more. And this is the point where they were trying to create this fake movie so that they could get some shooting locations in Iran so the CIA could get in there and get out the Americans who were essentially being held hostage uh, when the um, when the embassy fell. Mm-hmm. And so one of the ways that they were trying to convince everyone to do this is they hired a bunch of actors to do a table read. There's actually a script for this movie. And then they had Jack Kirby doing a lot of the um, pre-production the art. art. Yeah, the pre-production mm-hmm. art for this so that they could show it to people in Iran and say, yeah, this is totally legit. And uh, sure enough, he's he's using a lot of Middle Eastern iconography um, to help bring all of this about. And it just takes it takes the Eternals up an even higher level. So Kirby just keeps cranking it up and up and up. And I think some of his stuff is wonderful. Just not I'm not a big fan of his faces. He is he is my cilantro with that. It's so. There's this thing about the like, especially when you look at the Eternals where like the Eternals is like a meteorite that hit Marvel and it's like so hard that like people don't remember. Mm-hmm. They don't like people don't know this comic. Like yep. I, I joke to Matthew, like we I made a joke before that no one's ever read this comic. And <laughs> Matthew says he has, but I don't believe him because I think the space time continuum got warped when this book happened. And you continue to see characters from this book, especially the Celestials. Yep. show up again and again you continue to see designs that don't change right it's yep. like you can't change the way the celestials look because they won't look like anything unless they have those kirby designs and there's a lot of other stuff like that in the marvel universe um like galactus right they can't change galactus too much yep. actually i don't know was galactus an original kirby design yes. he might not have been yeah well there you go um and it's like, if it doesn't look like Kirby, it doesn't look like anything. And actually, the same thing is kind of true for the new gods. Um, yeah. And that, you know, they, they can't ever have Orion without looking like he's like just like a brick of meat riding like a tiny scooter. It's like, if he's not that <laughs> doing that, it doesn't look right. Right. Um, and this like affects comics for ages and somehow like evaporated on impact because you ask people about this comic and they don't know it. It's not in the zeitgeist, but all of the designs and all the drawings, like art wise, it's like everywhere in the Marvel universe. Yeah. The one thing I would say to be aware of, if you decide that you want to go check this out for yourself is I would go for the complete collection of, um, the Eternals. This is volume Mm -hmm. one that we read, which literally covers the first 11, um, issues Mm -hmm. of the book there is a volume two that collects the last eight and i think there was a big time jump between when issue 11 and issue 12 came out if i'm if i'm remembering what i read about uh, the eternals where it got canceled and then it was like four years later they tried to pick it back up and and finish the story something like that um but be aware you're not getting a complete 
finite story. You're getting a lot of running around and people going, oh, my God, celestials are going to destroy the world in 50 years. What are we going to do? And then the book just kind of ends. So just kind of be aware of that if you decide to buy this book using that Amazon link that's embedded yeah. on the Major Spoilers website and in the show notes. Uh, you can go over to Amazon and buy this book. It's not going to cost you anything extra, but a little bit does come back our way, just like everything that you buy using that Amazon link over at Majorspoilers.com. We certainly appreciate it. So what's the bottom line here on uh, The Eternals, Ashley? What what do you like? What do you dislike? What is your final recommendation? Um, I'm going to be honest. It's it's hard for me to say that I like very much of this book, um, except I like Kirby art and Kirby style. I don't think it's bad. I just think it's really difficult. I think if you are interested in the Eternals and you have no familiarity with them, you're probably not going to get a better starting place than this. And I know that coming from what I just said, that that's not a huge endorsement. But if you're into comics and you're into Kirby and you are into knowing what's up with these characters that are coming from the movies, this is a worthy place to start. Then read the Neil Gaiman stuff, and then I defy you to come back to my Twitter <laughs> at Ashley V Robinson and tell me that any of it made sense. It will look very good, and there's some neat stuff. But like, tell me what happened. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, maybe borrow it from the the library, or after you've clicked on that Amazon code, uh, go get yourself like a, a discounted copy. Of it. There you go, Matthew. Final thoughts from you. Honestly. My favorite Eternals are the Volume 2 Eternals, uh, the stuff that comes from Sal Buscema, and I, I, I don't know, I want to say maybe uh, Walt Simonson. But you can't go wrong with Kirby. And the thing about this volume that I think makes it definitely at least a check it out for me is just the stream of consciousness creativity faucet that is Jack Kirby just going blah. Every single page of every issue, you're like, what is that? Wait, what? You get to a point where, you know, I say this book is exhausting. It's exhausting to keep up with, but it's so satisfying when you do, when you get to the point that it's like, hey, okay, Makari, your helmet is really freaky. I kind of get your whole thing. And if you actually go and try, and I'm going to tell you don't, but if you actually go and try and unravel all of the retcons that have been around the Eternals and the Eternal characters and everybody who's in play in these issues, it's fascinating to see. Rodrigo's exactly right. It has wormed into every corner of the Marvel Universe. The X-Men, the Fantastic Four, the Avengers, everything that you know about the Marvel Universe has a little bit of Eternals DNA in it. And that's not just because it's a cool hidden universe concept. It's because you, you couldn't stop Kirby. The man put pencils on paper and he made comics and you get to the end of those comics and you're like, man, I don't know if I liked that, but I still kind of loved it. And when you get to the end of a book and that's the response that you have, you have to actually sit down and then, you know, take it in and really soak it up. So I say definitely at least check this book out. I think this is a difficult book to get through. Um, as I said, it's a wall of text that's just going to inundate you. And so it's probably not going to be a sit down and read it once. If you're going to buy this collection, I would say this is something that you're going to pick up and read occasionally, like skim through it a couple times, look at the pretty art, uh, but then just take take it as you as you, in a nice leisurely pace, you know, read it over the course of 11, 12 years uh, to really appreciate it. 
Um, you don't have to read it all right away. Um, I'm probably not going to do a buy recommendation on this. I think I'm going to agree with Ashley that a borrow it from the library um, is going to be your best bet. See if it's up there on one of the digital platforms, uh, you know, like a Comixology or a Marvel Unlimited or something like that, where you can check it out. Uh, but do be aware you're going to get some really great art. You're going to get some really new agey religion stuff, uh, sci-fi UFO stuff mixed in. Uh, so be aware of that if that's something that offends you. Um, but uh, yeah, I think this is going to definitely be a borrow from me. Rodrigo, you get the final word this week. Yeah, I think um, you guys remember that scene from The Incredibles where uh, I think the mom is like, okay, Dash, you need to run as fast as you can. And Dash is like, as fast as I can? And it's like somebody that's been, it's like how Superman is always like, I can't punch anything as hard as I can. This is like Jack Kirby. They just put that in front of them and they're like, Jack, I want you to go bananas on this. And (laughs) it is. And it's so powerful that it makes no sense. It like... (laughs) It's just too much. It's like too much energy, too much force. Like, and and the thing that suffers from it is kind of that through line of a story. But man, do we get some fantastic art! I'm just like sitting here looking at this uh, full page thing of like a celestial walking by like a ship, mm-hmm. like a full like tanker or like a cruise liner. I, I think no, it's like a uh, like an industrial ship of some kind, and it's amazing it's incredible i hope this is in a movie you know it's it just visually this book is amazing so it is a buy from me if you want to look at it if you want to understand what's happening you can't so (laughs) don't don't try don't try because it doesn't like it really doesn't try to make a lot of sense it's all about its concepts and it spends some time showing you the concepts and then moves on to something else yeah There you go. There's our look at the Eternals. Let's see how much of this gets translated into the movie when the movie finally comes out. I think it's now 2021, late 2021. My bet is none. I'm going to bet it's 2023. So anyway, (laughs) that wraps it up for this issue. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for being part of the Major Spoilers Experience. As always, we love your feedback, so make sure to use the comments section at Majorspoilers.com to share your thoughts and reactions to this episode. Or even better, you can send us an email to podcast.majorspoilers.com. And don't forget, you can support this show and everything we do by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash majorspoilers. We will be back next week for the big episode 900. Why? (gasps) Because we know that you love comics and we do too. And we will talk with you soon. Bad the X-ray vision of a Superman I could save a few bucks and stand around And read through the covers of the comics on the stand But although every other page Would be backwards I suppose I could still read the evens and the odds Well I don't know Guess I haven't thought this all the way through Plus as soon as the comic book store guy knew They kicked my butt out on the corner What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. 
What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah What a major spoiler What a major spoiler If I'm stark raving rich like a man of iron Might not be surprised to find That I might actually have the heart cold To follow an entire storyline But would I really even need To read upon all those escapades I mean, who needs such distractions When your sister's such a babe But the downside is such a beast Shot up in a fine be in the middle east with a king santo and soldier what a major spoiler what a major spoiler yeah 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 what a major spoiler whoa whoa whoa, whoa. what a major spoiler this podcast is copyright 2020 by major spoilers entertainment llc